Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 7. We're going to open and study that today. But before we do that, let's go ahead and pray as we jump into God's Word. Amen. Father, we do thank you today for your word, and I do pray for everyone that joins us online. I pray that you would bless and strengthen, help us to hear your word in our hearts, help us to live out your word in our lives. We love you, and Lord, what we want to do is glorify you in all that we say and do. And so we thank you for your presence in our lives. Fill us with the Holy Spirit and help us to be obedient to the call of Jesus and make him known in the world that we live in. We love you, and we thank you today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please do turn to Mark chapter 7, and here's what it says. We're actually going to go ahead and read, I think it is, 23 verses today. They're all connected. We won't get to the rest of the chapter following that, but we certainly will read this, and I'll share as much as I possibly can. So here's what it says in verse 1. It says, the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men." He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. I mean, can we just stop right there and say, my goodness, the Son of God is indicting these people as uh, saying that they are experts not in the law or practicing the law, but they're experts at setting aside the law. My goodness. Verse 10, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would be of help to you is Corban, that is to say, given to God or devoted to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all you and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And verse 16, by the way, is not in the earliest manuscripts. Some believe that a scribe added that later. We don't really know, but just an FYI. Verse 17, when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him, 
because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what, that which defiles, is that which defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceeds the evil thoughts, fornication, thefts, murders, and adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Clearly, we see here Jesus is getting to the heart of the issue, and he's actually talking about the heart. And I think personally, that's what this is all about. It does have a lot of other things along the way, but Jesus brings it right down to the heart. And I'm going to talk to you just about a couple principles that I think are really important as we look at a passage like this, but we know that we can't truly understand some of what's going on here without understanding some of the context. And so you look at verse seven or verse one in chapter seven, the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem. And so here what they have is they have these fault-finding theologians that come down from Jerusalem to investigate the activities of Jesus and his disciples. And th- this obviously follows what we have been watching in the book of Mark is that there are many that have set themselves against Christ or Jesus as they know him, but we know him as the Messiah. And they've set themselves against him to prove that he is no one special. In fact, an imposter leading people astray. That's what they think. That's what they believe. And so they're trying to find fault and they're actually coordinating efforts in order to do just that. They want to indict him They want to accuse him, and so this is another instance where we read about that very thing uh, happening. Here in the Gospel of Mark, we see that Mark gave some detail and explanation about the oral tradition, and what we we read here is in verse 2, and um, they had seen some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. So there was a tradition, an oral tradition. Now, I've already talked to you about this, but the book of Mark references the oral law, the oral traditions a couple of times. We're talking about the Mishnah. Now, I want to honor the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, because some of church history, or what I would say theologians and scholars have told us, is that the Pharisees got their start somewhere out of the Babylonian captivity, maybe in the Babylonian captivity. They're not necessarily all in alignment. But here you have those that were in Babylon, the Jews were subject to all of the ways of the Babylonians, and there was a group of people that said, hey, we want to be purist. We want to live according to the Word of God. And the word Pharisee means the separate ones, those who are separate. And so there were people that made a decision, we want to be separate unto God and unto His Word. That's a noble thing. That's a powerful thing. We want to honor that. What had happened, though, is that from the Babylonian captivity, as the Jews made their way back to Jerusalem and were able then to set up a society again and uh, follow and worship God, Yahweh, as, as, they dis- as they believed, what had happened was these sect groups had begun. And that, that had happened prior to that, but during that time, there were a handful of them. The Pharisees were one of them. They were separate ones. They wanted to be pure before God. So many, much of what had transpired was the oral traditions sort of gained momentum, and that was maybe explanations of the law. I've already told you about the Sabbath. One of the conflicts that the Pharisees had with Jesus was about the Sabbath. That was a primary one because they had 39, I believe it is, might be 37, 39 
oral law traditions that were based on five five commandments, or there's one commandment, but there's five different passages of Scripture denoting the Sabbath. So here you have five passages denoting the Sabbath, a very clear commandment, do no work on the Sabbath, but they have 39 stipulations to further explain what that exactly means. Can you imagine the conflict there that's going to happen? And so here we have another oral tradition, an oral law coming from the Pharisees, those that for years have decided they wanted to be separate unto God, and in their mind, they are right. So they had developed this tradition, and it had to do with not touching anything that is unclean. And if you went to the marketplace, Mark gives us that detail, that if you went to the marketplace and you touched anything, it could defile you. It could make you unclean in a sense. And so when you came home, you would basically stick your hands up, and somebody would pour water over your hands, and as long as the water ran, ran down your wrist, that would be considered you would be good to go to the next step of this this ritual, the ceremonial cleansing. So then you would put your hands down and, and they would do the same thing. They would pour water over your hands and then they would take the fist and they would, they would basically rub the hand. It's sort of strange. I don't fully understand it. Hands up, water gets poured over them. Hands down, water gets poured over them. And then the fist would rub. And this would consider yourself clean from any defilement that you've picked up. I want you to understand something because we're living in a time of quarantine, communicable diseases. So we're thinking washing hands is very good, right? See, you don't know this, but look, I've got this right next to me. So we think, hey, there's nothing wrong with washing hands. They weren't trying to wash hands in order for the hands to actually be clean. This was a purity ritual. It was about defilement. And so they were saying, the Pharisees, about Jesus and his disciples, why are you allowing your disciples to eat when they could be defiled? They're just taking that defilement into them. You want to be cleansed. You want your outer person to be cleansed because it affects what's going on inside of you. And of course, they have the wrong thinking on this entirely. And so then it goes on and it says, Mark gives the detail, verse 4, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which... Um, they have received in order to observe such as washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. Once again, it's not just about things being clean because we would think that was a good thing, but it's actually about the way that they think about touching other things and how that might defile them. So it's, it's really like maintaining this exterior purity, assuming that you are that and others are not, or others other things are not. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders and eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, rightly did I say a prophesy about you, prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus quotes here, I believe it is from Isaiah chapter, I have it written down. Jesus quotes from Isaiah, I want to say it's Isaiah 29. I had it written down somewhere. But, oh, is it Isaiah 29, 13. And he's taught, Isaiah's, I mean, I don't know if you can imagine this, but as Jesus quotes from Isaiah, he's ascribing this to the Pharisees that are right in front of him, the teachers of the law, and he's saying that you are fulfilling what Isaiah talked about. Now, that probably infuriated them. I can imagine them being very angry and upset about this because Jesus is not mincing words. He's making it very clear. And then he goes on to say, neglecting the commandment of God, you hold 
to the tradition of men. You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your own tradition. And this is what he meant by that. He explains it. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. That's the fifth commandment, Exodus chapter 20. We all know this, honor your father and your mother, and we see with it comes long life. And then he actually quotes from Exodus 21, he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. So here he puts this clear commandment from scripture, honor your father and your mother. And then he goes on to say, Exodus 21, those that do not do such a thing are are worthy of death. That's what it says in the scriptures. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever I have, Uh, that would help you is Corbin. So here we have honor defined, okay? I don't know what you think of when you think of honor, but Jesus actually makes a clear interpretation of honor as financial help, like real physical things. Sometimes we think of honor like speaking well of. I want to say nice things about my parents. Jesus actually doesn't say it that way, although that could be a, a real form of honor. His form of honor, his interpretation was that we would have some level of financial help of taking care of our parents as they age. And he's saying you get around that by saying Corbin, which literally means devoted to God. He's saying you guys have not only done this, but you've taught it that if you are able to help your aging parents, the way you get around it is you say this financial, whatever I have, this money or this possession, I call it Corbin, which means it's devoted to God, and you can use it for whatever sacred purposes that you deem worthy. That's what they would do, not necessarily that they would give it to the temple or the priests, but they would just set it apart, saying that it's Corbin, so they would use it however they felt like it was supposed to be used as something sacred before God. But what they were really doing was they were setting aside the commandment of God, and they were honoring a tradition which actually promoted selfish living, and that's how they were practicing this. And he says, you do many other things like this. Remember the teaching that we've gone over on divorce and remarriage? That was a very similar one. Moses gave them the ability to write a certificate of divorce to their wife. Why? Because their hearts were hard, and so they would get out of marriage in order to remarry someone. And they thought, because they were writing a certificate of divorce, that they were actually living according to the law, when in reality, their heart was hard. And so the law, the writing the certificate of divorce, was so that the woman would not be accused and that she wouldn't have to live in shame in her father's house for the rest of her life. It would set her free so that she could go and remarry. God had to put things into the law through Moses to protect the women because the men's hearts were so hard. And Jesus calls them out on that, that whatever you're doing, you're you're thinking that you're adhering to the law by finding another way around it. But in reality, your hearts are so corrupt, you don't even understand the intent of the law. And he's talking about this to them. He's It's very provocative. And so when they think that they're setting something aside as Corbin, Jesus says, you know in your heart the reason that you're doing this is because you don't want to help your father and mother. And in that, he is indicting them that they are not adhering to the fifth commandment. There couldn't be anything worse to indict those people at that time. It would be so terrible to hear that indictment. You would be stuck and you'd be struck by conviction, or you'd just be infuriated and you'd want to take Jesus out, which is exactly how they felt. But the truth is the truth. 
If you want to do something, if you want to twist scripture and find a way around it for selfish gain, that's what you're going to do. But you can't expect Jesus to wink in your direction. That's what we need to know. And we certainly want to glean from this. So I'm not judging the Pharisees or the religious, religious leaders. I'm saying that we can all do this. This is what is in man. And so Jesus goes on to teach them about uh, what this is really about, which is the heart. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. So he's saying the opposite of what they're saying is true. They're saying if you touch anything out in the marketplace and then you eat it, you can be defiled. That was their teaching, okay? And so he's saying the, actually the opposite is true. You can be defiled by what is inside of you that you allow come through you, all right? So he teaches on this in the Sermon on the Mount. It, it's the same thing, that it starts in the heart. And so Jesus is always going to take everything to the heart, he says, things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about this parable, this saying. They want to know more, and that's really honorable. He said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? In other words, they are wrong. They are twisting scripture, the oral tradition, is wrong in this regard because it does not go into his heart but into his stomach so it doesn't affect who you really are and he was saying that which proceeds out of the man that is that which defiles the man for from within out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts and this is where jesus of course is constantly setting up the idea that you that law was not given for you to be able to follow it so strictly and uh, like a horse that, that you can actually ride, this is a horse that's going to buck every person off. The law was not meant to be bridled. It can't be bridled by sinful man. Sinful man cannot live out the law perfectly. Only Jesus can. And the reason that Jesus gives for that kind of accusation, which is very clear because it's from within, we have this within, is because the heart is corrupt. Jeremiah would say the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Jesus comes now as the remedy and the cure for the corrupt human heart. That's why, of course, he had to die. He had to be buried. He had to rise again. But it's also why Jesus had to live a sinless life. Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit, right? The Immaculate Conception. We believe in the virgin birth. He lived a sinless life. He died on our behalf, he rose again to new life, which gives us, therefore, and establishes the promise that all who believe in him, repent for their self-willed ways, will have everlasting life. We will be born again. His sinless life is so important because right here in this passage, it's very clear that what defiles someone is based on what is already within them. It is already inside of us. So it's not about trying to develop a life that is so sacred and so separate that we will not be affected by every other sinner. The fact is we are sinners. And so Jesus in this story and many other like it continues to help us understand that the problem is not outside, the problem is inside. And the only way that we 
can change is we need an inside job and Jesus is the only one that's going to do that. And so that doesn't, isn't fully said in this passage, but it's what we know to be true. You and I need an inside job. We need a renovation of the heart. And unless we have a renovation of the heart, we will develop all kind of religious tendencies to make us feel like we are on top of the horse riding that thing as experts unlike other people. And so we just have to maintain a clean life whereby we can feel as though we are doing a good job religiously and God is pleased with us. That is never going to happen. We need a renovation of the heart. And this passage, while it doesn't say all of that, it is queuing up to what we know is true and where Jesus is going, why Jesus came, what Jesus is going to do. They're infuriated because, of course, Their whole life is grounded on, founded on these kinds of principles that we can ride this horse, bridle this horse, we can be experts in what that looks like and means when in reality, these things, they're still corrupt as anybody else. They've just developed a way of life externally where others may think well of them or that they're religious and and somehow um, able to live a life that is is honored by others, but Jesus is not impressed, right? Jesus is not impressed by our best day. Jesus looks to the humble heart. That's what it says in Isaiah chapter 66. It's Isaiah the prophet is speaking as, you know, the Lord would give him a word through him. He's saying, to this one will I look, one who is humble and contrite and trembles at my words. Right before he says that, to this one will I look. This is the one that impresses me. This is the one that I'm that I'm looking at. This is the one that I'm drawn towards. He says, what can man do for me? My hand made all these things. In other words, there is nothing that can be done to impress an almighty God. What he looks for is one who is humble and contrite and trembles at his word. Humility. Now, I just want to give you a few principles that I see based in this scripture, because it really is 23 verses that, um, that are referencing the same thing. Jesus gives an example, of course, where he talks about how they're breaking the fifth commandment. They're, they're I'm sure, incredibly angry about what he's saying and the accusation that he's making. But Jesus, of course, is right. There are things that are going on in here, and maybe just I'm extrapolating some principles that I see that I think might help us that may not exactly be the full interpretation of what's going on here. Clearly, we know that the interpretation is Jesus is helping us understand why he came, the purpose for which he came, their corruption from within, and that there were um, religious traditions that they had developed which substituted for the actual word of God. And when you think you're doing well and you think you're not doing anything wrong, you're not going to sense or feel your need for God to help you and to ask for his forgiveness and his cleansing from a heart level. And so, of course, we see this. It cues up a lot of other passages and principles which we're going to read in the book of Mark. But there's some things I want to share that I think could be helpful for us in the world that we live in. And number one, I just want to say this. Make sure that we have, we need to make sure that we have a biblical mindset. Now, something that we see is that they've thought that they had a biblical mindset, but they're actually honoring the traditions more than the Word of God. Now, you may think, well, that particular passage and that instance isn't something that pertains to me, but what if it is? What if it's not just this 
example that Jesus gives and how they're honoring traditions over the word, what if there are traditions? What if there are thoughts? What if there are religious mindsets? And I know there is pure religion, James chapter 1, that is to take care of the widow and the orphan and to keep oneself unstained by the world, but I'm talking about just a religious routine mindset that makes me feel better and look better than other people. What if that is something that happens where we develop a mindset that keeps us above people, making us think that we're doing better, and so we have all these rules and regulations whereby we put others down, lift ourselves up, and therefore what we really do is safeguard ourselves from the transformative work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, because that's actually what happens when we have a religious mindset, where we think that we are doing something that other people are not doing, and so you're not doing it, I'm doing it, makes me better, I'm right before God, you're not right before God, And in reality, there's just these things that are not biblical. Can I just tell you that there are a lot of things that we adhere to today that are an addendum to the Word of God? And I am constantly surprised, constantly shocked, both by maybe even things that come out of my own life and also the lives of others, especially in a time like we're in right now where so much is new. We have not gone through these things before, and so what initially comes out of us is not always scripture. It's not always based on a clear and pure filter of what the Bible says. And it's shocking that we wouldn't go back and check what scripture says. A lot of what I'm doing these days is actually studying what does scripture really say. Instead of assuming that I know how I ought to feel or I know what it already says, this is not a time to just stand on what I think it says. This is a time to study and see what it actually says, not to gain a perspective to do what I want to do. But what does the Bible say? Because I think if we're willing to do that, if we're willing to get a biblical mindset on the issues that we're facing today, I believe that what we're going to find is that our spiritual life will go deeper, our honor for God will go deeper, and our fruitfulness will be even greater, which is really what we want. We don't want pride in our lives. The Bible says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble people are not people that think they already know everything. They're people that study this word to see what God says. I mean, when we, if we're seeking the voice of God in our times, we've got to be people that are studying his word. Sometimes people ask me, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? Sometimes I have an opinion like everyone else, but I, what I'm doing right now is I'm studying the Word, right? That's what you should expect of me, and that's what you should expect of yourself. What you find from these scriptural conflicts with the Pharisees and religious leaders, these experts in the law, those that already know everything, but the reality is, is that Jesus is standing right in front of them confronting that, that conflictive place where they don't know what they think they know, and if they would only humble themselves— and study to, sh- to see what is standing right in front of them, they, their eyes would be open and they wouldn't become the hip- hypocrites that Jesus indicts them on. And this is so important. So we've got to make sure that we have a biblical mindset. And you know why? Because our discernment comes out of a biblical mindset. If your mindset is developed by something other than scripture, your discernment, not biblical discernment, but your discernment, the filter that you have, the way that you see things, the way that you interpret life, it will be based on something different. Every now and again, I get challenged on all kinds of stuff, but I am constantly listening. Is it from scripture? Is it a scriptural understanding? Does it take in the whole counsel of God? That's what I'm looking for, because if it doesn't, 
I'm not responsible to that. I am responsible, so are you, to the word of God. We are responsible to what God says. And it doesn't matter what the issue is. It always is the same. And it may be uncomfortable. There are things that the word tells us and the word stipulates for us clearly that are not necessarily going to be comfortable for us. And we've got to know that in advance. And that's what I want to encourage us to do is to have a biblical mindset so that our discernment and the way we see things, the way we interpret things, the way we filter things comes right from scripture. So that's the first thing. The second thing is make sure that we have a biblical practice. So what we have here is they've twisted the word of God and they're standing on the oral traditions, the oral law instead of the word. And so you have the fifth commandment and additional teaching in Exodus 21 about honoring your parents. They can't even see that. Not only do they not see that, but they are completely missing one of the 10 commandments and they are practicing something entirely different. They found a way around it. I think it's Numbers chapter 20 or something like that. I forget exactly. But there was a passage that says, when you make a vow to God, you need to keep it. Numbers chapter 20 or, or something around that. When you make a vow to God, you need to keep it. And so they, instead of honoring Exodus 20, Exodus 21, the fifth commandment, in a basic understanding, they found another scripture where they could twist the way they practice this scripture. So their practice of one nullifies the other. And you know what it says? It says you have a selfish heart. That's what it says. It's very clear. The heart that they have in taking one scripture and putting it over the other is selfish. You know what happens to us? The same exact thing. We will take one passage or two passages and it will say what we want to, we want it to say, but it will be in conflict with other passages. But because we so want this to be the case, can you imagine they don't want to help their aging parents? So they, they find if I make a vow and I call this money or possession Corbin, then I no longer need to give it to my parents or use it to help them in their life because I need to keep my vow. And that's what the scripture says. I mean, what a crazy way to twist the scripture, but that's what happens all the time. When the selfish, corrupt heart manifests itself, these are the things that actually transpire. Now, be honest with me. You've done this before. I've done this before where we found a scripture and it says kind of what we wanted to say, but we don't actually have a thorough understanding of how the word views a particular thing. Now, pick your, pick your issue. You could pick your issue on money. There are people today that will find a, a scripture and Third John, and it says, prosper even as your soul prosper. You will, you shall prosper in everything, even as your soul prospers. They'll take that one passage and they'll make that mean that we're supposed to live in this level of prosperity to show how great God is and that we're his king's kids. And it's just strange, right? But then you'll look at the apostle Paul again and again, that he, he talks about contentment. Contentment is not to seek gain. And he even says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Well, somebody that's going to quote about prosperity, they're not going to quote all of these other passages. They're not going to look at how Jesus didn't himself have somewhere to lay his head. Yeah, they had food and they had shelter, but they were traveling ministers and they often relied on those that would attend to them. 
And so they're not going to quote these passages. They're not going to look at how Jesus really lived his life. They're not going to look at how Isaiah 53 says he was nothing to look at. He was despised in the world's eyes. They're not going to think about all that. See, because they found a passage to say what they want it to say. I wanted to say this because I want to live high on the hog. I want to live I want to live well off. I want I don't want anybody to tell me that that's not the right way. And so I'm going to find a passage to say that this is how it should be. No, friend, no. All right? We want to take all of the Word of God into consideration. It doesn't matter what just one verse says. We've got to take all of them. Is this the biblical mindset? Is this the biblical practice on throughout Scripture? Or is this just one passage that I can take out of its context and, go, and roll the dice on and think this is the way that I should pursue things? This is the way I should live my life? This is what it's all about? No, it's not. You know that this can happen, and it happens because the heart is corrupt. It doesn't just happen because, you know, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that there were other passages in the Bible that might have a little bit more informing factors as to how I might live my life. Yes, you did. That's why we have a big book, okay? And there's a lot in here on any issue. When people say, well, that doesn't speak directly to the Bible, it may not speak directly to, or may not speak directly to my life today. Yes, it does. This book gives us the foundation for life and practice, for the way we think and for the way we live. I have yet to find anything that any issue in life that the Bible doesn't give me a basic foundation for and a filter for, okay? But that doesn't mean that I already know it in advance. It means that during the issues that I face or while things come up, I've got to continue to study it, show myself approved, rightly divide the Word of God. So we want to make sure we have a biblical mindset, that's where our discernment comes from, and a biblical practice, that's where our lifestyle comes from. And who, who of us, any of us, want to have life practices that are not based on the Word of God. No, of course not. So we want to renounce any former practices that are based on just maybe our interpretation of one passage. That's not good enough. We've got to rightly divide the Word of truth. All right, number three, and finally, make sure that you have a humble heart. To me, you've heard me say this before, but this is the key. Humility of heart, right? So Jesus says very, very clearly that it's not what's outside that defiles us, it's what's inside. What does that mean? That means that we're stuck and in need of help. We need a savior, we need a renovation of the heart. Jesus himself is the one that came to bring that to us. He came to do that for us, but we have to yield ourselves to him and his work through the Holy Spirit. God is initiate. He has initiated the sanctification work of the Holy Spirit, that we are being changed into His likeness from glory to glory, from faith to faith. That transformation process is in play right now. However, our humility, our yieldedness, our surrender to the ways of the Lord, the Word of the Lord, is absolutely essential. I could go off on this for hours. Honestly, humility is the key. Is that what we exhibit? Is that what comes out of our life? Humility to what? Humility to the Word of God. Humility to the Spirit of God. Humility to the people of God. This is, this is all about our heart before the Lord, okay? The pride of man is just creeping into, trying to creep into our lives. It's gnawing at our heels, wanting us to just be these people that know it all, have it all, are better than it all. But the reality is, is that we've got to be humble people. Now, that doesn't, doesn't mean we don't have strength to our lives. 
It doesn't mean that we don't have backbones. It doesn't mean that we're not strong. It means that we're strong in what we know to be true in the convictions that the Word gives us, but we're humble in the way that we are with one another. We're humble in the way that we are before God. And that means something. That's really important. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they did not exhibit that humility, not in this passage. Were there some that did? Probably along the path of walking with Jesus or seeing his great exploits. I'm, sh- I'm sure there were. What I'm saying is in this particular passage, humility is not that evident. But is it in our lives? We want to make sure that we have humble hearts. How do we do that? I'll tell you what. If we have a prayer life, now hear me on this, if we have a prayer life where we humble ourselves before God regularly, we voice that, we let the Lord know that we want to have humble hearts. Sometimes you'll hear people say, never ask God to humble you. Well, I, I, I know you don't, you don't want some wrecking situation to like take your life down, okay? But we need God to even help us with humility. So asking the Lord, help me with humility, there's nothing wrong with that. Where we struggle, if there's any pride there, just ask the Lord for His view on your life. Lord, is there any pride in me? Am, am, am I humble? Am I not humble? Would you help me to be a person that walks in humility, Lord? And not just circumstantially, like, Lord, would you give me a horrible situation that makes me humble? That, that's not what we're looking for. We're asking God to massage our hearts. We're asking God to give us revelation about where we stand, where we are, how we go about life, how we speak to others, how we look at His Word. Ask God to give you His perspective of where you are. Pray. Spend some time in prayer. Take out your journal, right? This is why I show you this. Take out your journal. Ask the Lord questions. Write out any answers. As you read the Word, as you study the Word, write out things that stick out to you. Ask the Lord to bring application into your life as a result of that. God will do this. And so that's what this is about for us. It's about humbling ourselves before the Lord. And so we will not walk in the ways that we see are in conflict to the person and the purposes of Jesus, which we read about today in Mark chapter 7. We don't want to have our own traditions. We don't want to have our own mindsets, our own thoughts, our own ways. We want to have His ways, His thoughts, His practices. And that's going to happen when we have humility. And that's what I want to encourage you with today. We're going to end on that with Mark chapter 7. Can I pray for you real quickly? Of course, I'm going to. So let's go ahead and do that together. Would you just uh, join your heart with mine as we pray? Father, we thank you today for your word. And God, it shines light on just how corrupt the human heart can be. And Lord, we know that we're not exempt from that. We thank you that you came, you lived a sinless life, you died, you rose again. You gave to us what we could never give to ourselves. You did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And we honor you today. We thank you, Lord. That, and we needed you, and we admit that. And I, I pray, God, that you would help us with humility. Help us to have humble hearts, would you, Lord? And that we would not walk out the traditions of men, but we would walk out the Word of God. That we would not be right in our own eyes, but, Lord, we would, we would follow after you in your ways. And I pray, God, for your blessing and your strength on each and every person that's tuned in today. God, we just want to know you and walk with you and make you known in the world. And so I pray, Lord, that you would you would grab hold of our hearts, Lord, and that in such a way we would, we would honor your word and our discernment would come from what your word says. And we would live our life grounded and founded on your holy word. We thank you, Lord, for soft and sensitive hearts, humble hearts as we follow you in this world. Lead us. We trust you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.